You're listening to Worship Life Radio with Pastor Holland Davis of Calvary Chapel San Clemente on today's edition. God doesn't take you back into bondage. God doesn't lead you into a place of captivity. I've heard people even say that. You know, where, you know, God just took me into this place where I was, you know, in bondage for all these years so that he could teach me something. I mean, no, God doesn't need to do that to teach you something. That's like ridiculous. That's like me going to my kids going, you know what, I don't want you to play on with fire. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to set you on fire. God just doesn't do that. Have you ever been in a bad situation and wondered why God would allow something like that to happen to you? I know that I have. The truth is, God doesn't ever put his children into bondage intentionally. Today, Pastor Holland will be sharing a message with us about how God loves and takes care of his children. Though he never wants to see us suffer through difficulties and trials, he does tell us that we will face them. However, he also promises better days on the other side of our bondage. Let's join Pastor Holland in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 2 as he begins his message. It's time to move on. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 2 this week. We began our study in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's been kind of an exciting thing as we've been looking at what Deuteronomy is all about. In the Hebrew, it's called Devarim. And Devarim literally means the words or the things. And it's taken from the first verse of Deuteronomy, which says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel. And so Moses is giving the word of God, the words that God has given to him. Moses is now giving them to the nation of Israel. This year, or actually yesterday, my wife and I went to her sister's celebration of life. Her sister passed away this year, and um, she struggled with stage four cancer for seven years. And it was an incredible, just an incredible service, incredible testimony of her life. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me is that she, you know, she actually was healed two times of cancer in the seven years. God completely, where they opened her up and there was no cancer there. You know, just amazing how God had sustained her. And she talked about her journey as she was going through this, this whole process and how when she began, she began to pray, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me. And the Lord healed her. You know, but as time went on, then it was kind of like, Lord, I, I know my days are numbered. Give me more days. Give me more days with my children. And the Lord answered that cry as well. She, you know, she lived seven and a half years, you know, enough time for her grandkids to get to know her and for them to know who she was and what she was about. But then she got to a point where she realized that there was even something greater than, than just living a long day for her family experiencing the healing power of God. And that was, she got to the point where she just said, you know what, I want my life to glorify the Lord. And Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, no matter what pain I go through, I am going to glorify you. My life is going to be spent giving praise to you and giving honor to you. And there was all kinds of stories about that where she would be racked in pain and she would just say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to complain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she would just begin worshiping the Lord. It was just a powerful testimony. But to me, it spoke to me about what the book of Deuteronomy is really about. 
that it's about moving out away from the wilderness, moving into the promises of God, and realizing that it's not about you, but it's about him. And you come to the place in your life where you're going to live out the love of God, that I'm gonna live my life glorifying God, loving other people, loving him, and that my life is gonna be devoted to giving glory to him no matter what I go through. Another thing that really stuck out to me in her, in her memorial was when she talked about her diagnosis and how you know, she would you know, get these diagnoses that, hey, you, you're cancer-free, and she would just celebrate, oh, praise the Lord, I'm cancer-free. And That happened the second time and the third time, but the fourth time that she got the news from the doctor after they opened her up and there was nothing in there and they closed her up and they said, you're, there's nothing there, you're cancer-free. The fourth time she said, I felt nothing. I didn't feel anything at all. And it bothered her. She went to the Lord. She said, Lord, why is it that I don't feel any joy or any celebration or anything about this? And the Lord spoke very clearly to her and said, it's because your joy is not in your healing. Your joy is not in the doctor's report. Your joy is not in what man says. Your joy is in me. I'm the only source of joy you have. And she said from that point forward, it completely changed her life because it didn't matter if she got a good report. It didn't matter if she got a bad report. All she knew was that her joy was in Jesus and none of that took away her joy. None of that changed her joy for her. She was able to live out her life filled with joy. Even though she was suffering in pain, she was filled with joy. And so God is now speaking to a new generation of Israel, a new generation that has not experienced him the way that the previous generation has experienced him. And he's calling them out of that wilderness experience into an experience with him where they're not going to have their joy based on their victories or their failures. Their joy is going to be based on the presence of God and nothing else but him. And so if you remember, the generation that was rescued out of Egypt refused to enter the promised land. After they heard the report of the spies, which we actually learned this week in, in Bible study that it wasn't Moses' idea. And if you want to know whose idea it was, you'll have to go and listen to that tape again. But it wasn't Moses' idea. He didn't come up with that idea. It came from somewhere else. You know, and we discovered that the people actually wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to flee the wilderness and go back to where they had come from, what was comfortable to them, what was known to them. But here was the problem because God, you know, they had rejected the promised land, so God couldn't take them into the promises that he had for them. But he can't take them back to Egypt either because God doesn't take you back into bondage. God doesn't lead you into a place of captivity. I've heard people even say that, you know, where, you know, God just took me into this place where I was, you know, in bondage for all these years so that he could teach me something. No, God doesn't need to do that to teach you something. That's like ridiculous. That's like me going to my kids going, you know what? I don't want you to play on with fire. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to set you on fire. God just doesn't do that. That's not how he operates. And so he couldn't take them back to Egypt. He couldn't lead them into freedom. So what did he do? He said, okay, your alternative is you're going to live out your days in the wilderness. You're just going to live out your days where you are. 
But here's what's interesting about God. God didn't reject them. God didn't say, you know what? I'm gonna go get a people that loves me. I'm gonna get a different group of people. I'm sure there's someone out there that wants to hear what I have to say. I'll go find them. He doesn't do that. He leads them through the wilderness. He feeds them through the wilderness. He gives them water. He protects them. He does everything that he said he would do all the days that they live. And that's a picture of the love of God. Psalms 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. I love that. Because I know what I'm all about. I know what I've done. And you know what you've done. So don't look at me like, oh yeah, what have you done? You know what you've done. And yet God does not treat you based on what you deserve. He doesn't give you what you deserve. And if you want to live in the wilderness, you know what he does? He says, okay, I'll, I'll go in the wilderness with you. I'll walk through the wilderness with you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you, I'll protect you, I'll take care of you. Right where you're at, if that's where you want to be. I have so much more for you, but I'm not going to abandon you, and I'm not going to leave you. So God doesn't abandon Israel in the wilderness. God doesn't reject God. God is not unfaithful to Israel, although Israel is unfaithful to God. And God doesn't break his covenant with Israel, although Israel has broken its covenant with God. But rather, God takes care of Israel and continues to lead Israel until unbelief dies a natural death in the wilderness. Until all the unbelief is dead in the wilderness. He's patient with Israel. He's merciful with Israel. He's gracious with Israel. And instead of giving Israel what Israel deserves, he loves Israel and he waits. He waits for faith to rise up. And that is what's happening in the wilderness. Unbelief dies a natural death and a new generation of faith rises up. And oftentimes that's what God does in our lives. He, he waits for unbelief to die in our lives. He waits for us to get to the point where we're ready to trust him. And he's patient with us. And this brings us to Deuteronomy chapter two where we read beginning with verse one. And then he turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days, and the Lord spoke to me saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. Turn north. You know, there comes a time in every person's life when God says it's time to move on. It's time to grow up. It's time to move into maturity. Worship Life Radio with Holland Davis will continue right after this. Hi, this is Holland Davis, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Clemente. 
And I just want to take a moment and invite you to come and visit us at one of our Sunday morning services or to our midweek Bible study. Calvary Chapel San Clemente is a Jesus people community right here in the city of San Clemente, California. You know, we identify with our roots in the Jesus movement because that's where I came to Christ. And of course, that's where Calvary Chapel was born. When you come to our church, you're going to find a church that loves to worship the Lord with song. We love to study God's word verse by verse, and we love to share the love of God with other people. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, consider visiting us. You can find out all about us online at calvarysancomeni.org. We look forward to worshiping with you soon, and may God richly bless you. Now, let's continue with today's edition of Worship Life Radio. It's time to move out of the wilderness and move into the place that I've prepared for you. To move into the position of serving, to move into the place of restoration. You're not a child of unbelief. You're a child of faith. You're not a child of Egypt. You're a child of promise. And it's time to leave the wilderness and to go north, to go up, to be elevated out of this world and to be the heavenly people that God has called you to be. To no longer be identified by the things of this world, but to be identified by the things of God. At this time in the story of Israel's life, they've traveled around Mount Seir for 40 years. Literally, when you look at it in the Hebrew, they were going around in circles. They were traveling in circles. And it says that they skirted Mount Seir, which means they were traveling around the mount. And it wasn't like a mount where, where you know, I've heard people, you know, we're, we're rocking around the mountain. No, it was a region. It was a mountainous region. And so they were just walking around this entire mountainous region. A lot of activity, a lot of movement, but they were going nowhere. They were doing a lot, but there was no progress. Maybe you know people like that. They're always busy always doing things, always moving, always got something going, but they're going nowhere. They move from opportunity to opportunity. They're restless, but they've made no real progress, and they have nothing really to show for their lives, nothing to really to show for all their busyness. If you notice here, it says that they journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea. Where is that? What does that represent? Do you remember what happened at the Red Sea? The Red Sea is where the Egyptian army was destroyed, right? The Red Sea is where Israel was delivered from all the powers of Egypt. The Red Sea is where salvation came to the Israelis, to the nation of Israel. And to me, this speaks of those who They've come to Christ. They've had that salvation experience, but they've had no real growth. They've never really progressed past that salvation experience. They like the emotional high of being in crisis and experiencing God's power to save them out of trouble. Maybe you know people that are always in crisis, but God delivered me. They just love that emotional high. 
They love to go down to altar calls time and time again. I would see them at, when I was on staff at Costa Mesa, the same people coming down, and after a while we would tell them, hey, don't come down anymore. You don't need to get saved all over again. Oh, it just feels so good to walk down. Everybody's applauding, you know, and you're in on it. It's like, oh, yeah, there I am. They're applauding me. I felt good. It's like, no, it's not about that. It's not an emotional high. There's a maturity to it. People that are always dealing with something, that always talking about the battle, the warfare. Oh, the warfare is so hard. They're always being attacked. They haven't entered into God's rest. They're not abiding in God's love. And even though they've been walking with the Lord for a long time, they still act like new believers. He knows we're going to mess up. He picked us anyhow because he loves us. The writer of Hebrew writes in Hebrews 6, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Paul is saying there comes a time when God says it's time to move on, to move past the elementary principles of Christ. And he lists six of them, six of the elementary principles. These are what they are. He says, he says the first elementary principle is repentance from dead works. What is he talking about? He's talking about separation from the world. That we're to be separated from the world. That's an elementary thing. Faith towards God. Trusting in the Lord. And trusting him with everything in our lives. That's an elementary thing. The doctrine of baptisms, which has to do with identifying with Christ, to publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's an elementary thing. There's no such thing as a secret Christian man, or in my case, a secret Asian man. We're to identify with him and clearly let people know who we are. The laying on of hands, praying for the sick, the power to serve, resurrection of the dead, walking in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives, that Jesus is alive, eternal judgment, knowing that your sins are forgiven. That's an elementary thing. And as a mature believer, you shouldn't be struggling with these things. You shouldn't be struggling with fornication or uncleanness or passion or evil desires or covetousness, which the Bible says all of those things are idolatry. We shouldn't be struggling with them. You shouldn't be in struggling with your identity in Christ. You shouldn't be struggling with trusting in the Lord. That's an elementary thing. It shouldn't be a struggle to make the decision to identify yourself publicly with Jesus in baptism, but I know people that do. Well, I was baptized as a child. That's all I need. It's like, no, that doesn't count. What do you mean it doesn't count? Well, the whole point of baptism is that you're making a public decision to identify with Jesus, that it's, a, it's something that you're declaring to the world. It's a decision that you've made that you're informing everyone of. And so if you have not made that, you know, if you're a little baby, you don't have the power to make that decision. Somebody else is making that decision. 
You're being dedicated to the Lord, but you're not identifying with the Lord because you don't have the ability to do that at that moment. But when you come of age and you make a decision to follow Jesus, then it's natural to want to let everybody know and to say publicly, I am identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. You should know how to pray for the sick. And your prayer should be working. People should be getting well. Not like me, where they get worse. I prayed for Matt Levchek for his heart, and it got worse. Had to go to surgery. So I'm growing in this area too. If you don't know how to pray for the sick, come to our afterglow service. You'll learn how to pray for the sick. We've seen tons of people healed. And I, I, it always blows my mind when, I, when people call me up, oh, I can't come to afterglow service. Why? Because I'm sick. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's what we do. We heal the sick. Then I have other people. Oh, I'm not going to go to that thing. Why? Because there's a bunch of sick people there. Well, now after a while, they get healed. <laughs> God heals them. You should be walking in resurrection life, not weighed down by the things of the world, not allowing death of any kind to remain in your life, not allowing anything that quenches life. Bitterness quenches life. Unforgiveness quenches life. Anger quenches life. And we're to get those things out of our life. You should be living as someone has had their sins forgiven, Forgiving others, not judging them because you've been forgiven. Whenever I see someone that condemns others or judges others, it's often because they themselves don't understand how much they've been forgiven of. And they feel that they have the right to judge. They don't know that they're truly forgiven of their sins. And these things should not be a matter of discussion. These aren't a thing to debate over. Should I really forgive that person? I mean, they were so mean to me and so abusive. That should not be a debate. You need to forgive. You need to forgive them. It should be a matter of obedience. And these are the basic, basic elementary principles. The first things. Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles, the scriptures of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now what's the difference between milk and solid food? It really comes down to one thing. Obedience. Obeying the word of God. You see, until you learn to obey the scriptures, you're really not having solid food. You're just having milk. Jesus said, my meat, my solid food, is to do the will of him who sent me. Thank you for listening today. When I was a young man, Jesus made himself known to me. I was sitting in a Bible study, and I heard an audible voice say, Holland, I love you. And those words changed my life. And you know, those words can change your life today as well. You know, Jesus said, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And today you can begin that eternal everlasting life by praying a simple prayer and mean it with all your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I want to live my life for you. Forgive me for everything I've done to offend you. Forgive me for breaking your law. I want to surrender to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live for you all the days of my life. And if you've done that, you're born again. You've been listening to a message in a series through the book of Deuteronomy. Pastor Holland has more to share from this Old Testament book, and we look forward to the next edition of Worship Life Radio. We're so glad you took the time to hear from God's Word today. Deuteronomy is full of reminders about the unique relationship between God and His people. Other nations worshipped different gods depending on what they needed at the time. This shouldn't have been the case with the Israelites. The promise of God's blessings wasn't to be taken lightly. It required a faithfulness to the one true God as Moses reminded them. What do you do in those instances when you're drawn to worldly things? It's no easy thing to deny yourself and follow after Jesus. But in the end, I guarantee you'll experience more blessings than you can imagine. I encourage you to stay steadfast in your faithfulness. Your relationship with Jesus will grow leaps and bounds because of it. If you're one of those that are just checking out this Jesus thing for the first time, would you call us? We're eager to chat with you, answering any questions you might have. Just dial 949-228-9117. That number you can call is 949-228-9117. We're thankful that you spent some of your day listening to the Word. Now may the Lord bless you and those whom you love and especially those whom nobody loves. Make plans to join us again right here on Worship Life Radio. Every one of us is on a journey of grace. God wants you to be free and full of joy. Pastor Holland's message series, A Journey of Grace, will help you discover how to live the abundant life that Jesus promises to give you today. Order your personal copy of A Journey of Grace at worshipliferadio.com.